Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. There's oh a drive deep right field, say goodbye. Hey, Lloyd, <laughs> do some delivery for the truck to the airport. Michael Preston. Washington State certainly did some delivery to the airport with a win, something, or whatever. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour off a... I... If you had been uh, watching that game with my wife and I, first of all, our daughter blessed us with the longest nap. She's taking a long time to let us watch the whole thing, but I was a tense ball of tenseness the whole time. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that football game uh, and finding out that almost 4 million people watch it, which I'm almost certain is it, positive it's a top five rating for a Wazoo game ever, and it might be the best rating they've ever achieved, and I, I don't care that Alabama Texas played before. Um, Joshua Fredlin from Mountain West Wire is going to be here to talk about the Colorado State Rams. I want to talk about the IPF. Uh, the Taylor Sports Complex, whatever you want to call it, um, as well. It seems like we're finally going to get a little traction on that later this week. We end, as always, with our Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. 22 minutes and 51 seconds. That is how long Wisconsin held the ball in the first half. 22 minutes and 51 seconds. That is an absurd amount of possession in a half. And you have listened to me, if you are a regular listener of this show, you have listened to me blovate and blovate and blovate about how unimportant time of possession largely is. Because in a lot of contexts, it is largely unimportant. You saw so much of that with Mike Leach teams. They would not hold the they would have the ball for less than half the game and they would blow somebody out. It just doesn't matter. But in this specific game, it mattered for a very specific reason. One of the things I was really worried about, and I said this last week after that Idaho game, when the defense was on the field a lot, was against Idaho, it's not going to punish you too badly. Against Wisconsin, it will absolutely punish you because Wisconsin is full of Big Ten athletes. They are known for just grinding you to dust. With the running game. And boy, was I not correct about that. <laughs> um, this defense looks incredible. They held Wisconsin to 5.3 yards per play. Over 400 yards of offense, which sounds like a lot. But then you consider it was only, I think they Wisconsin ran something like 75 plays. And... For like a quarter and a half in the first half, they just kept trying to ram it down the middle on Wazoo and apparently did not think to do what they eventually started doing and getting some success with, with, which was pulling guards. And, you know, they were trying to get lateral at first. That wasn't working, but then they finally started pulling some linemen over to the direction they wanted to go and it finally started working a little bit. But you hold them to 5.3 yards per play. Now, if you had told me that Wazoo would also have 5.1 yards per play, I would not have believed that they would win that football game. So 
you see a lot of Wisconsin fans who don't understand how they lost that football game. And frankly, I don't understand how Washington State won that football game. This is a theme you're going to hear at least a little bit this week on this podcast network. What it comes down to, though, are things like a 70-yard kickoff return that doesn't get counted in your offensive numbers. When Renard Bell runs it back into field goal range to start the second half, that does not get added to offensive numbers. That's how you do that. How you do that is throwing an interception and then causing the interceptor to fumble the football. Bless up to you, Lincoln Victor. The way you win this football game is kind of like we talked about last week with Idaho. Is high-variance stuff. Washington State, though, didn't do a lot of like high-variance stuff. But when was the last time you guys saw two interception fumbles? When was the last time you saw one in a game? When was the last time you saw two in a game? Okay, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. That's how you win a football game like this is if Cam Ward's pick doesn't get fumbled, does Wisconsin go on down to score? Or do they just grind more clock? Whatever happens, that's how you win a football game like this. And this is just, I I am... You also win it by, as I just said, you have an absolutely relentless and smothering defense. Wisconsin went absolutely nowhere most of the game if they tried to run between the tackles. They went absolutely nowhere in that game if they tried to put the ball between the tackles. It was a really incredible job by Christian Mejia, by... David Gusta, by, uh, oh my God, Nusi Valane, uh, by Amir Muhajid. I just, uh, Amir, I just slaughtered your last name. I apologize. Mujahid. I believe I'm saying that correctly. And if I'm not, my bad. But an absolutely incredible job by the interior lineman. And Dan Henley continues to show that he is an incredible contributor to this defense. And I hope Derek Langford's not hurt for long. Uh, But this defense looks absolutely suffocating at times. The offense still has some work to do. Now, granted, Wisconsin is a very, very good... A very, very good defense. And Washington State's offense did just enough... To win this football game. And I even mean just enough. So there was, there was one. Like there was one. I was on that third down. On Wazoo's final drive of the game. They had that early third down in the drive. And there was that bad snap. From Gomnes. Ward and Jalen Jenkins. Both go down to pick up the ball. And as soon as Ward gets his hands on it. Jenkins isn't trying to fight for it. He's not trying to fight. For what was supposed to be an RPO. Or uh, you know. Uh, option for Ward or him to run it. Gomnus lets his man pass, and Jenkins just chips him really quick. And that man would have been on Cam Ward in the backfield had Jenkins not done that. It's just teeny, tiny, little things like that that let you win a football game like this. And when Washington State, when Jordan Lee recovered that fumble, the only, I looked straight to my wife and said, I want this drive to take six minutes, and I do not want them to score. Just don't worry about scoring. Worry about doing enough to run the clock down. And 
after not doing that all day, they did. And after such bad clock management near the end of the half, um, the coaches really had this one figured out. They really properly managed that final drive of the game. And it results in, I I mean, goodness, the biggest non-conference win um, that I can remember in quite some time, especially on the road. Um, It results in a game with 4 million people on Fox watching it. Now, again, thanks to being behind the Alabama-Texas game, it certainly helped. But you had 4 million people watching Washington State beat Wisconsin by kind of sort of being Wisconsin. And it was just an extraordinary football game to watch from that standpoint. This offense still has a lot of work to do, no doubt. Cam Ward cannot go progression one, progression two, and then bail out. Because right now it looks like his offensive line is actually pretty capable. And it looks like they're holding it together here. I still think they're an injury or two away from being in pretty bad shape here. But there are still, you know, obviously some... Jalen Jenkins looks like the real deal at running back. He looks incredible. Having Renard Bell back has been wonderful. Donovan Ollie, Zion Nunnally, Dejon Stribling have all been great. Lincoln Victor as well at receiver. Cam Ward's just got to get on the same page as these guys. He's got to. And we'll talk about how they might have an opportunity to do that this weekend here in a second. But I'm... It's so wild because that that team and Jeff's talked about it before and Mike Leach talked about it all the time. We didn't hear as much from Nick Rolovich. We, I don't necessarily think we did from Jake Dickert. But it's just that there is no quit. There is no give up. There is no adversity is too hard to face in a football game. And Jeff wrote in his Monday column, and I think it's true. It's like you just, like, I, you look through that box score and you try to find a reason why. You look through Bill Connolly's SP plus numbers, and even Bill Connolly goes, I have no idea how Wazi won that game. No idea how. But I kind of like that better. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I kind of like better that I don't really know how it happened. I just. I just know that it did happen. And I know that it made me incredibly happy that it did. Um, that's a program-defining win if you're Washington State. That is a program, program, program-defining win. Especially under Jake Dickert. This is his first full season as the head coach. And he coached, what, six games as the interim last year? So... For him to get that win, and in a place so special to him. But for him to get that win with this group of players, and you know, I think a team that a lot of us kind of didn't know, it was definitely like a box of chocolates at the beginning of the year. You didn't know what you were going to get. But for them to go into Madison, Wisconsin, and beat the Big, we- Big Ten West favorites, a top 20 team, and to do it by beating them in their way, um, was extraordinary. And I and I, I want to point out again. A time of possession advantage. That stark in the first half. Should have led to gassed in the second. And thanks to rotating players. Thanks to everything else. Thanks to conditioning. Whatever. Um, 
the defense still played extremely well in the second half. In fact, so well they didn't let Wisconsin score. I am... Uh, <laughs> like, I, I have to wonder if Wisconsin after the game was just wondering how much they have to pay to get out of the return trip next year. Because, oh, by the way, they're here on September 9th next year. That's That was the front end of a home-and-home. Home. So, I'm kind of curious as to... Uh, are, do they want to buy their way out after that? Probably not. They want to make the trip. But... Um, it is, I'm, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon and I'm, I'm, I'm still like glowing. I'm still buzzing from that. Which brings us to this weekend's opponent, Colorado State. The first of three in a row at home with Oregon and then homecoming against Cal. Um, always kind of a recipe for light attendance. Uh, I hope not. This is the first game I'll be making it to in three years. Obviously we didn't go in 2020. Nobody did. Um, and then last year, thanks to a youngish baby, uh, new jobs, everything else, there just was not a good time to go for us. Uh, but we managed to finagle some grandparents to take care of the little one for the weekend. Uh, and her mom and I will be going to our first game in three years. And we are season ticket holders. And so this is, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see Colorado State. And I <laughs> did not think I would be. Um, Colorado State's not very good. And I know, you know, that look-ahead danger. You're looking ahead to Oregon. That game also got picked up by Fox. So you're going to be on national TV again. But, I, I, God, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm having a real hard time not being pretty confident about this. Colorado State's SP Plus offense, they're in the 120s. And they're like 130 FPS teams. Their defense is better, better-ish. In the 90s, 80s, in that area. But they have given up 16 sacks on the year. They've given up 16 sacks and they played Michigan and Middle Tennessee State. And Middle Tennessee State had more sacks. They have huge injury issues up front, as Josh will tell you here in a couple of minutes. And Jay Norvell, I like I what he said, and Colorado State's like athletics website published and I'm, I'm kind of amazed they did. I didn't think, you know, like ath- athletic, you know, like wshukubers.com uh, would ever publish a quote like this. And I'm, I'm having to scroll back to find it, but here it is quote. I think we still have a ways to go in understanding the type of preparation you have to have. We have them for a couple hours in the morning. We had them for a few minutes of meetings and then they have class and other responsibilities. Norvell said, Good football teams all over the country, they come back and watch film. They're getting with their coaches. They're spending extra time really sinking their teeth into the game plan. We've got some guys who have done that. We've got some guys who don't understand that at all. End quote. First of all, that <laughs> that the school was like, yeah, put that on the website. Um, but second of all, it probably speaks to the job Jay Norvell has to do in rebuilding Colorado State. And there is a lot more work to do there, perhaps, than he had anticipated. So, I'm going to be interested to see exactly who comes out there. Jay Norvell was a guy I wanted Wazoo to look at um, after Nick Rolovich's firing uh, last year. Um, I think he's a heck of a football coach, and he's just got a really big job ahead of him uh, at Colorado State. He brought Clay Millen with him from Nevada, clearly thinks very highly of him. Uh, They run a version of the air raid, so we'll see if this defense can defend... Um, a passing offense, uh, how well they can do there. But what really gives me, what really encourages me is that Colorado State's given up 16 sacks. 
And that's a lot in two games. And it's not like they're out here running tempo, running a bunch of plays. They are giving up a lot of pressure. And so if Millen doesn't have time to throw, it just doesn't matter how good his receivers are or whether you are having issues in your secondary. And as we've seen so far this year, if there's one thing Washington State is very good at, it is getting to the quarterback or at least putting pressure on him. So what does Brian Ward do to counteract that? And it, you know, if you think your front four are getting home at first and that's all you need to do, then great. Maybe some creative blitzes like we saw against Idaho featuring Armani Marsh um, as well, who's looked really good in that situation or in those types of situations. What does it mean? Going to be very interested to find out. Mostly interested to find out from our seats for the first time in three years. I have not sat in our seats uh, since November of 2019. We did not... uh, (laughs) My wife was not yet pregnant last time we went to a game. And I have a two-year-old now. That is how long it has been. That is how long. Josh Fredlin, Mountain West Wire, coming up next to talk about the Colorado State Rams on the Coog Center Hour. We are back on the Coog Center Hour. I like, but I could stop Joshua Fredlin from Mountain West Wire, who covers the Colorado State Rams. I had this nice intro worked up, but then it said Coog Center, and uh, it just went straight out the window. I'm not going to edit it, but Joshua's here uh, to help us preview the uh, Colorado State Rams. He covers them for Mountain West Wire, and uh, Josh, this is. Um, the, the Colorado State Rams have a guy who I actually wanted to be um, the head coach at Washington State in Jay Norvell. He got hired um, from Nevada, a Mountain West rival, in fact. He made his way to Fort Collins. Um, thoughts on that hire overall? Um, I know it's, it's only been a couple of games so far, and you know Jay Norvell is definitely a program fixer, but thoughts on his hire? You know, I, I absolutely love the hire. Um, he was one of those... He fit the mold that our athletic director was looking for. He wanted that coach with experience who had head coaching experience because Mike Bobo was, um, you know, an offensive coordinator in uh, head coach's role. Um, so we hired Steve Adazio because, you know, he had that experience. And then mm-hmm. he decided to, you know, take the program into a nosedive. So, and, <laughs> you know, in the off season, he's done everything right. He's gone out into the community. He's gotten these players involved in the community. He's done everything right. And I think it put rose-colored glasses on, on all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought everything, like, I've, I think we all knew week one against Michigan was not going to happen. I think we all knew that. We were hoping for something in, in week two, see what we could see. And then that game happened. So, right. I mean, it, it but at, at this point, it's basically the worst, probably one of the the worst four year stretches in school history. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're just going to have to give him time. Yeah. And I want to touch on that uh, middle Tennessee middle, t- middle Tennessee state game here uh, in a few minutes, actually, because that it was an, I mean, not interesting would be maybe the wrong word, but it was, it was an odd outcome, obviously. Oh, and two, like you said, to start. Um, and I think what, what's kind of the attitude for CSU fans right now? I think you kind of mentioned it just kind of like knowing that, you know, you're you're four years into a pretty bad time, so maybe patience is what's best here in terms of rebuilding the program. Yeah, and I and I will agree with that. You know, we need that patience. I 
we I think every program has those fans where if nothing's going right, every the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. Chicken, those chicken little fans, and unfortunately, those fans are dominating the CSU boards right now, and it, it it's kind of sucks. I know I was I I've made some you know terrible decisions to post things on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I we I, all I have out. we we've all done that though. Every single yeah. one of us has done that. <laughs> No, and it, it, it was. I was just frustrated that day, and like, but and that was back in the Mike Bobo era. But you know, I've, I've learned to calm down a little bit. You know, realize the situation we're in, and, and it, you got to realize those fans are just there to rile you up. But I, and I do think most fans realize, hey, we we got to give these guys time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't supposed to be an immediate thing. Mm-hmm. We, like I said, rose-colored glasses, and then those got torn off. Yeah. Let's talk about that Middle Tennessee game because, you know, I, I think like you mentioned, um, you know, you go to Ann Arbor and Michigan's a top 15 team, so we're not expecting, you know, really anything there. But Colorado State was a 14-point favorite over Middle Tennessee, and the wheels came off pretty quickly um, in that home opener. What went wrong against Middle Tennessee to cause that to happen? Because I, I you know, obviously I wanted to, I was interested in that result just because they were playing Wazoo the next week, but what, what happened in that first half? Because I, I think Middle Tennessee got out ahead 34 nothing. I, I never want to blame injuries. I really never do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I always feel bad for, for the guys who get injured. But on the kickoff, right away there was an injury, and immediately the next play we come out and throw that pick six. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is—he is our quarterback is a, excuse me, is a redshirt freshman making his only his first couple starts. Um, we lost our left tackle for the season during the week. Um, our right tackle uh, got hurt during the game. We—he's questionable this week to see if he can even go. Our center might move back to tackle, so that's that's always fun. Yeah, but you know. It's just, I think we have the talent. I think CSU definitely has the talent. They just need that cohesion. And you have all of these guys who have made, who played games. I mean, outside, uh, excluding our left tackle, who was making his, I believe his first just appearance period. I mean, we had guys with 20 plus um, appearances, 20 plus starts. Mm-hmm. Our right, our right tackle, the one who got hurt was, has appeared in, you know, 47 games, made close to 40 starts. So it's, it's just kind of getting all of them to mesh. But, you know, we have that tight end in the back. Or not, we have the tight end who's replacing Tra- our Mackey Award winner, Trey McBride. We know he's named all Mountain West uh, preseason due to weird voting situations with that. But he, he, he has the talent, you know, he has the size to replace him. We have the talent uh, on, at the receiver position, you know, as is shown by Torrey Horton. And then the defense, you know, is, is – there they just need to make those plays i I think there was an article on the cc rams website today um you know preparing correctly and i think that's that's a a little bit of what's going on is these guys you know hey while they may be locked in it's those guys behind them you know hey anything can happen you got to step up and you got to pay attention I actually read that today. I was actually surprised to see Jay Norvell say that that and, and be so candid and actually, frankly, see it posted on the school website that, like, look, we we need to prepare better. And there are some guys who are not doing that. That that really surprised me. He brought – you mentioned Clay Millen. You brought him with him from Nevada. He was at Nevada with him. And Clay Millen actually is known to some prep high school football fans in this area. He went to uh, Mount Si High School, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, how is he looking so far? I know you mentioned that pick six. He – 
has more touchdowns and interceptions, which he, which is good, but, uh, you know, he's kind of looking up and down, but that's kind of to be expected for a redshirt freshman, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I you can see the talent is there. You can absolutely see it. You saw it on those those couple long touchdowns to Torrey Horton. His, I think most of the issue is, like, he just doesn't have the time. Some, some of the issues, you know, it's freshman mistakes. You know, he's holding on to the ball too long. He doesn't know when to get rid of it. Uh, but when he has the time, he has shown, you know, he has shown that bright spot that he can be. He just needs that time. Yeah. I want to talk about that kind of needing time next. But you mentioned Torrey Horton, and I wanted to touch on maybe the biggest weapon CSU has offensively. Um, because I know Washington State fans being an offensive-oriented you know, mindset are always kind of interested in that. So is he the biggest offensive weapon Colorado State has, or is there somebody else we should be looking out for on Saturday? Right now, yes, because mm-hmm. I believe there's that familiarity between Millen, that reliability that he knows, hey, I can throw it up, he's going to go get it, that that type of receiver. But, you know, there's, those two, there's two receivers that, um, unfortunately, the second one hasn't gotten as much playing time. Although I wish he would have, because he was a freshman All-American. Um, Dante Wright, you know, he, he's the speedy guy. You know, he's the guy you put on jet sweeps. And then um, the guy he's behind in Melquan Stovall, they're both very fast, very quick twitch guys mm-hmm. who you want to get the ball to in space so they can make the plays on their own. You mentioned, again, uh, you know, when Millen gets time, he has shown himself to be pretty good. And it's, I think I counted right, 16 sacks so far in two games given up by Colorado yeah. State's offensive line. I know you mentioned some injuries. Is that the biggest problem? I, I mean, and I can say I, I think that's the biggest problem because if there's one school that can sympathize with the shuffling offensive linemen, it's Washington State. Is that the biggest problem right now that they just they, they haven't been able to mesh because they can't be consistent up there? Yeah, I, I do think that's one of the one of the biggest issues, and it's it's causing you know the coaches to have to you know come up with new game plans, um, bring people in to protect. Um, one of the things I kept noticing that when they were bringing those guys in to protect, mm-hmm. they weren't providing any of the underneath routes that those guys that were kept in to protect would normally be running. So I think that's also one of the big issues that I've been noticing is when we have trouble protecting the quarterback, it's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, um, again, things are kind of working for CSU defensively, at least a little bit. There seems to be um, the talent meshing a little bit more. SP Plus has them rated better, I think, in the 80s um, right now. What is really specifically working for them? Because I know um, you're talking to a team that's having its struggles offensively right now. Um, Cam Ward's still trying to put things together. The running game seems to be okay, but they seem to be behind the sticks a little bit. So what's working for Colorado State? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll flip that on its head real quick um, and say that probably our biggest weak point is our linebackers. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's, you know, it's a 4-2-5. Um, we don't, and then it's something I noticed uh, that Middle, Middle Tennessee was doing is that they were blitzing their linebackers on occasion, whereas we really aren't, uh, you know, Freddie Banks coming from Mon- uh, Montana State you know, top 10 defense in the FCS last year, led them mm-hmm. to the FCS national championship, really relies on the front four to get pressure on their own. And they've done a very good job at that. You know, mm-hmm. um, Muhammad Kamara has been, uh, I believe he is, um, I believe we've only had three sacks on the year. He has two of them. He also has a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. So he's he's really the guy in the front four. And then, you know, Rutgers transfers, CJ Onyechi, um, uh, I believe, what I've been able to see is he's actually been the main focus for offensive lines because he still gets back there, even though he isn't really on 
the the stat sheet. He's one mm-hmm. of the guys in the backfield at all times. Um, you know, and then in the the secondary would probably be where mistakes happen, but we also make great plays. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Jack Howell was was just got put back on the, the starting roster this week, first on the depth chart. Uh, freshman All American last year. His dad used to play at CSU's. Dad won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. So you got you got a legacy there. Um, you know, uh, Chigozi Anusium, cornerback transfer from Cal, has been great on the outside. And then really um, all-around player, uh, Taiwan Francis, has been great. Mm-hmm. He's starting He's starting in the nickel, um, and he, he's just been been able to fly all over the field. You know, he, he has shown occasions where he overruns plays. Um, you know, the best example of that is that long Michigan touchdown where he just ran into the defender to try and clear him out because he thought he had help behind him and it resulted in a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But he, he, other than that, I believe he's one of the best players on the field for CSU. I know um, it's a bit of a long shot here. Um, what does Colorado State need to do to win and your prediction for this one? I know they were a 16-point underdog coming into this one, but at least for Wazoo, this screams to me a classic trap game with Oregon. The next week you're coming down off that high from beating Wisconsin, so it's always weird. I, I would never bet on these types of games, but for, for you, Josh, what, what does – CSU need need to do to win, and then what do you think the final score will be? Honestly, the biggest thing is just offensive line cohesion. You know, if we if mm-hmm. we can give Clay Millen that time, and he can run through his progressions, he can have those underneath outlet routes. That will definitely be key. You know, on the defense, it's just keep everything in front of you. You know, you're going to give up plays, but as long as you don't give up those big chunk plays, I think we'll be fine. Okay. Um, as as far as score, um. I don't know um, <laughs> if I if I had to say probably you know in air you you think both air raid offenses um, you, you think high scoring but you know with both teams not scoring as much I'd probably say something you know thirty one twenty four yeah. something like that yeah I'm leaning I'm leaning a little bit more towards a towards a grinded out as well Josh Fred Fredland from Mountain West Wire a USA Today property you can read his coverage of Colorado State all week we encourage you to do so Josh thank you for your expertise especially on such a rough football night uh for you I was I wasn't going to bring up that you were a Broncos fan but I, just, I had to I had to work that in right at the end there for you No you're good I'm I'm kind of used to used to bad football after the past couple of years so <laughs> <laughs> Well thank you again sir I appreciate it Yeah no problem well, thanks to Josh for his expertise on the Colorado State Rams, a team we have not seen since the 2013, and I won't mention it, Bull. Uh, although plenty of coaching staff turned over uh, in that time uh, for both schools, as a matter of fact. So not even remotely the same program uh, that was there in Albuquerque almost 10 years ago. But again, our thanks to Josh uh, for lending his hand uh, and his insights to the Rams. Um Published a piece on Kooksiner this week, but I wanted to go over it um, here as well. Um, you know, ordinarily, Board of Regents meetings are pretty boring, um, even for the most ardent followers of university policy and updates, etc. Um, they tend to be a bit of a bore. Um, but this week, the board should approve moving forward with getting a designer for the indoor practice facility, the Taylor Sports Complex, named after the family who's doing the most money, whatever you want to call it. Um, it gave us some extra insights as well into kind of the status of the project because Washington State's a public institution. They have to make um, a lot of this known. They can't get away with um, 
you know, they're not a private school. They can't get away with like hiding a lot of how they're financing this. Um, and so later this week, they should approve moving into the design phase for that complex. Um, but that does mean that that's the design phase. And it's a phase that will take at least half a year. And so they won't vote on approving everything until November of next year, which means there wouldn't be a dirt or a shovel in dirt until a month or so after that, whenever the football team's done using it, the current indoor structure that it has a colorful nickname. I won't mention here because this is a family program. Um, so we're still over a year away. And now with it costing more than $27 million, including $2 million in design and still about $6 million worth of where we will give you the money financial commitments so they don't have the money on hand completely still, but they need to go get the money. Um, but that's already, again, donations that have been um, been pledged to the school. Um, I think it's mostly just that I'm, I'm happy to see this. And it, and it really has been a saga with this building finally come to an end. And it's it's been frustrating, I know, for a lot of fans because... You know, the the operations building got built, the suites got built, um, and that was just done. And the university took out some construction bonds to do that. Uh, and the intention was to use that Pac-12 TV money to pay for. Well, that money never materialized, and God forbid the worst happens in the next, you know, six months to a year. Uh, there's going to be even less of it. So... What do, you know, it led them basically down the path of athletics wanted to pay for this again. And they went, you need to go find the money before we will approve it. Because there was no bonding money left. It's not like there's, you know, different pots of construction bonds the school pulls from to build stuff for different departments. No, it all comes out of one pot. So the school is, you know, a school. <laughs> like they're supposed to educate people. And I and I don't mean that in, in like a you're so dumb for not thinking that way. I mean that in a I forget that too a lot of times way. Like I forget that a lot. My connection to my alma mater is very much through athletics. And that is not the case for some people. And you know, generally speaking, again, your connection's not gonna be as strong if it's just academics. But like the school's a school. It is, it is a it is a university. So they need that money to build other stuff. So I get why the region said, look, if you want to build this thing, that's fine. But you got to go find the money for it first. We are not giving you a bond, especially when we did this for this other stuff. And now we're having issues paying it back. And it's got our athletic department in debt, uh, something like $70 million. I There was a spreadsheet on the Board of Regents presentation. I could hardly read it. Uh, but the... The financial picture wasn't like burn the whole thing down for the insurance money, but it was definitely like we need to start remodeling pretty heavily type stuff. And I know that's something Kirk Schultz and Pat Chun have been hot to trot on doing. Um, so I'm, I'm glad the saga is kind of finally coming to an end. I get the frustration that it seems like we've been stuck kind of in, you know, purgatory with this thing for so long because the real issue is that most schools that are, I mean, all, actually all schools that are your peer, and even some that aren't, Wyoming, Boise State, that I can think of off the top of my head, have a facility like what's being proposed here already. Washington State has 
a pretty dark, dank, inflatable structure that is really not usable for a ton. I mean, they do do a lot of indoor track there, but I, if you've never been inside it, um, you're not missing a lot. <laughs> it is, it is really not a great facility. So by building something more modern and that will not just be used for football, it gets used for soccer, for golf, for track, a lot of other sports. It has a lot of other uses, but it, it finally kind of, it, I mean, crap, it brings you up to the level of Boise State facility-wise with that kind of thing. So it's really important, especially after building the Back to Omaha project for for baseball, especially after building the much-deserved upgrades for the soccer team, and now with the Champions Complex stuff and the PEB that the Athletics Department wants to get done, you're finally kind of catching up. And you have that that study out for Beasley Coliseum to see whether you can renovate it or whether you need to rebuild it completely. Um, these two things, you know, I, I said a few weeks ago, Beasley kind of feels like that one last big thing that needs to get done. Like that one huge thing. Um, this indoor facility is also, is kind of like 1B on that list. Now, granted, that's money secured. Now we're just literally having it designed. Again, this largely once the decision gets to the board, they will largely approve these things. So, assuming they do that, we're getting it designed. We're going through that process. Beasley still, that's still 5 to 10 years away in all likelihood. So... This is a big deal for a lot. And I and again, I understand the frustration because I've been frustrated too with how long it's been taking. And, you know, there were COVID delays and and then supply chain issues and all that other good jazz. But now you're finally to a place where, okay, now we can go and do this. We have the money secured. Let's go and build this thing that will be a big benefit for the entire department. I don't think the design will st- change substantially from a lot of the photos that are out there. Um, I hope it doesn't. I like the look of it. Uh, but hopefully, I, I think the hope would be is that you start right after the football season's over in January 2024, and it's done by the time it's time for football season again and soccer season. It shouldn't take, you know, hopefully more than about eight months um, to build that, but we'll see how things go. Dunderhead of the Week, ask Michael anything. Other side of the fight song. Uh, we'll in- enjoy it. Sing along with one. Dunderhead of the week. If you live in Seattle, around Seattle, like if you have been to Seattle in the last couple of years, you know that the biggest bugaboo transportation-wise in this city has been the closure of the West Seattle Bridge. 
You know that I live in West Seattle. Our cats who are in here, our producers, live in West Seattle. And finally, mercifully, on Sunday when I'm driving home from Pullman after picking up our daughter at my in-laws, we will be able to drive over the West Seattle Bridge again to get home. So my dunderhead of the week doesn't go to the Seattle Department of Transportation. It doesn't go to former Mayor Jenny Durkin for slow rolling the decision to repair the bridge instead of replacing the bridge when repairing was clearly the better option. No, no, no. My dunderhead of the week goes to the contractor who built this thing in the first place 40 years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The design will last 75, 80 years. It'll be great. And then they built it with structurally inefficient concrete Structurally deficient concrete, never made to carry the loads that this bridge was going to carry, which then caused it to fail 40 years before. Oh, by the way, here's the best part. When it was considered, like, who should be paying for this? Who should be taking responsibility for this? The company that built the bridge out of business, the person who founded the business, dead. Literally no one to go after financially for this so the city gets shouldered with the entire cost of repair which i it's, it's like an astronomical amount of money uh but it needed to happen so i don't know your name i don't know your company but my dunderhead of the week goes out to whoever built the west seattle bridge with concrete not good enough to support you know like cars and buses you know the stuff that would use that thing to service a neighborhood of the city with over ninety thousand people in it just little old us over here, the OG Seattle. We're going to stop being an island, thank God, in a few days. Ask Michael anything time. Like, I can't, I like, I can't, A, it's been absolute hell getting in and out of this neighborhood for years. Like, even just to go downtown has been terrible. Um, but I'm most excited for all the neighborhoods, like, around all those detour routes to get their roads back, to get their streets back and not be clogged. Those poor folks, like, they, they deserve it back. But, okay. Anyway, ask Michael anything. Light load this week at WSU Brady 27 Brady. Time machine. You can go back and attend a game you missed out on. What game do you choose? Um, I ended up going home for the weekend in 2006. Uh, when we played Oregon, that would be one. I think if I had to pick one, though, 2015 against UCLA, if I could fly to LA and go to that game, I definitely would love to. I was still working in radio on the weekends at the time, so it just wasn't really an option for me to go. Um, and I, I, I wish I could have gone to that for the, you know, everything. We, I, we, we still have a bunch of friends who live in LA, so, like, I, I wish I could have gone down to that one, you know, the Gabe Marks catch and all that good jazz. That would have been really wonderful to do. At C Clean, Chris Clean, through two weeks, what is the position that is most encouraging versus preseason expectations and which position is most disappointing? I, I think probably the offensive line is doing better than any of us expected. I think Cam Ward, again, I, the expectations are probably a little bit too lofty, um, but I, I think the offensive line has been performing really, really well. Um, that's been a really pleasant surprise. I, again, like I said earlier, I think they're like an injury or two away from not being in great shape, um, but that's been pretty good. At G Foster, GFC, Garrett Foster, how did we fall into this multiverse where the Cougs and M's appear to both be good? I had been led to believe uh, for a very long time that only one was allowed to be good. Like, one or the other was allowed to be good. Like, you didn't get both 
you got one or the other. I'm sure Husky fans feel that way too. I mean, there's plenty of crossover there as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I'm liking this version of the multiverse. And especially, uh, not to like go too far down this rabbit hole, but the Kraken looked pretty good this fall too. Like they went one season, acquired a crap load of draft picks, had a lot of cap space, and they used it very smartly in the off season and drafted, they got very lucky to have some to have Shane Wright fall to them and to draft well and do a lot of other stuff. And boy, do they look like they can make the playoffs this year in year two after a not great showing in year one. Uh, yeah, not to jinx everything, but the, they look pretty good too. Washington State, 38. Colorado State, 21. I think it's going to be a bit of a grind to start, but then Washington State should pull away at the end. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't look ahead to Oregon. Don't look ahead to Oregon. Don't. Do it. Don't do it. We'll see you guys in Pullman this weekend. Cannot express how excited I am to get over to Pullman for a football game again for the first time in three years. Cannot wait to be over there. Can't wait to see a Coug win. Uh, and I even can't wait for that horrible drive home on Sunday morning when my the, the hangover fog is not helping. We'll talk to you guys next week on the Coug Center Hour.